Hello world and welcome to the Philanese Nash Experience Podcast, a new audio series of lighthearted and sometimes third eye opening conversations on a variety of topics from the African-American perspective. I'm your host, Philanese Nash. Welcome. On this episode, we are talking about networking 101, specifically how to make your network work for you. And so today, my guest has a lot of business accolades, but I want to first mention that on a personal note, Lee and his wife, Val, are good people, good friends of ours, and we enjoy hanging out with y'all on the weekend, socially distancing. (laughs) Of course. Got to put that in there. But um, on the business note, Lee is an investment advisor, a real estate investor and developer, consultant and businessman, and he is the president of Millette Investment Services and is the principal of Stanton Developers. He sits on numerous boards, including the Nashville Public Library Foundation, 100 Black Men of Middle Tennessee, and Easter Seals. He's a sought-after thought leader by government officials and business leaders. He has been instrumental in bringing many of Nashville business leaders together to discuss race and diversity inclusion in Nashville. He has been recognized four times by the Nashville Business Journal as one of the 100 most influential business people in Nashville. Lastly, he is a member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity. His bio is extensive. It goes on and on. He knows everybody. Everybody knows him. I call him the mayor of Middle Tennessee. Let's welcome Lee Mollette to the show. Well, thank you, Philanese. I am excited to be here and a part of the Philanese Nash experience. Yes. Thank you very much for the invite. Well, uh, thank you for accepting the invite, and I'm happy that you are on the show. So since April, I have been starting my conversations off with my guests by talking about the current pandemic that we're in with COVID and just kind of talking a little bit about how it's affected you business-wise and personally and how you have had to pivot since, you know, COVID has come into existence. So how have you guys been doing? Man, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And um, I don't know that I fully have an answer yet. I mean, it's, um, you know, things continue to evolve. And from a business perspective, uh, on the uh, financial services side and investment side, obviously, you know, those that have money, we're investing. And uh, we're seeing some good opportunities to buy and for them to continue to earn and grow their wealth. Uh, For those that don't have as much to invest, I'm still encouraging them to invest because this is when rich people get rich. (laughs) Exactly right. That's the big difference. And so it may mean that you have to cut out something in order to put more money up, but it just makes sense to do that. And I think in terms of the fact that we're not driving as much, we're not eating out as much, so we're not spending as much money on some things, we now have some additional funds that we should use to put away and to invest. Uh, unfortunately, you know, people don't always see it that way, but that's re- really where we've seen the big difference in, in our uh, financial services business is people are really, they want to sit on cash. They want to sit on cash. They want to sit on cash. And again, they, a lot of times, even with a professional advising them, they still want to sit on cash and don't really get the concept of buy low, sell high. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to buy Apple stock now that they're splitting. And I get it. But, you know, if you bought one share for $300, just the mere fact that they, all of a sudden they said they're going to split, their stock price ran up even more. And so now you, you can buy four shares at, for $400. <laughs> but uh, it's the same equivalent of that one share that you could have bought for 300 
Uh, and you know, same thing with other companies that we see this happening with. So we just really have to encourage people to invest while the markets uh, are in flux and when you see a company stock down. On the real estate side, you know, Middle Tennessee, and not just Middle Tennessee, across the country, we're saying that people still need places to live. And so uh, what we're trying to do is adapt our new construction, our new residential products to embrace this new work from home environment. And I don't think that it's going to necessarily be the only way that people work. But I do think that, you know, many of us are going to have this hybrid model of how we work. And uh, and so essentially we may go into the office two or three days a week or every other week, but then we'll work from home. And when you have people like you and Turner and myself and Valerie that are both working from home, our product now is taking that in consideration. So instead of there just being one office space in the home, we're going to have two. That keeps somebody from having to take over the dining room table. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is happening. Right. And everybody's trying to scramble when company comes over. So, <laughs> so we're looking at a couple of different things. But, you know, uh, housing, I just got a, an email from one of, our, one of the realtors we work with. And she's saying, look, people are still looking for product. They're still looking for product. They still have to have places to live. They still believe in the real estate market. And with interest rates so low right now, it still makes sense for people to be buying homes. That's interesting. You would have thought that or maybe potentially anticipated that there would be a freeze because people didn't have, they'd lost jobs, income. Is that just unique to Middle Tennessee or is this across the United States? You know, essentially it's across the United States. And what, what you're seeing though Unfortunately, with the wage gaps and uh, differences in how people are employed, obviously people that are working in um, in the restaurant business, especially if they're servers or hostess, something along those lines, or cooks, they're not the ones buying new homes, unfortunately. I mean, so you see a lot of people that are displaced workers and you, you start to realize when you have 30 million people not working in the country, you know, it's coming from somewhere. And so unfortunately, those are the folks that aren't able to maybe pay their rent uh, or, or really, you know, buy a new home. And this is, you know, from our perspective on rental property, I think you're going to see more landlords want to only rent to what we call essential workers. So people in the healthcare fields, people in education, especially through the time we get until we get through this pandemic, uh, or at least get under control because you don't, we don't want to be stuck with the mortgage without someone paying rent and with some of the laws that have been enacted or on the table that will uh, prevent us from being able to evict or what have you. It's an unfortunate kind of scenario. We don't want to evict, but we also don't want to go into foreclosure because you didn't pay rent. We can't pay the mortgage. Uh, So it's just a, you know, it's kind of an unfortunate scenario, but so we're starting to see that trend as well with, with landlords really being picky about who their um, tenants are. And then also our banks uh, are being very, selective on how they're financing investment properties. They're, they're not going as high on the, the debt ratio. So it's not, whereas they might've done an 80% loan on an investment property, now they're doing 70. They're refraining from allowing real estate owners, investment real estate owners, especially from cashing out their equity. And so just different things like that we're starting to see. Man, that's good to know. And that just comes from talking to someone like yourself who's in that arena, in that space and being able to counsel folks. So we'll definitely make sure you get a shout out at the end that so how people can get in touch with you to, to talk to you about that, because it's very informative about those changes. So when I was thinking about our conversation, the one thing that just continued to come to the forefront of my mind, and I, you know, I always talk with Turner about my conversations and we both were like, 
networking and building relationships. And I know you know this, but when people ask or told, you know, who should I talk to about this or that, your name is the first name to come up in conversations. Have you talked to Lee Molette? Hmm. And so give us some information or some guidance on how you can become that guy or that woman, the go-to person. How do you build those networks? How do you become the connector? I think in 17, they named you 100 Influential. You were under the connectors division. And then in 2019, you were of business builders or the ones who get the business done. So your name is out there. How do you build up a portfolio of a network like that? That's a great question. And I don't know that I know the answer to that. So keep in mind, I moved to Nashville in 1992 or fall of 1991. I'm not a native Nashvillian. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, went to school in North Carolina. Uh, my background, though, is sales. Uh, I sold books door to door during the summers with the Southwestern Company, which uh, then led to my first full-time gig after college, becoming a sales manager, which brought me to Nashville. Uh, one thing you learn in sales is that um, you want referrals in business. And so the way to get referrals is you have to do what you say you're going to do. You have to do a good job. And then you can ask for referrals. And once you get a referral, then you do the same thing. And so, I mean, because in sales, that's how you continuously build your business. Uh, you find people that are like the ones that are buying your product. And, and when you're doing that and you're doing a good job, more and more people get to know you. And so I would say, you know, really, when I think about being in Nashville and, um, and being an outsider, considered an outsider, especially on the front end, um, you know, I just continue to try to do what was right. Now, I'm not perfect by any means, but I try to do what was right, especially from a business perspective and, how, and then also how I treat people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over, you know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to join different organizations like 100 Black Men. Becoming a member of that organization was a, was a big deal for me. Uh, also had an opportunity to become a, a Rotarian. I've been in, in the Rotary Club of Nashville, which was like the third largest one in the country. I've been a member uh, for, I think, 16 or 17 years. You know, so when I join organizations, I get involved. I don't join them to be on the rolls. I'm a member at Mount Zion, which is the largest church in the state. Uh, with you know close to thirty thousand members, but when I joined Mount Zion, I did it to, and got involved and was very active in the ministry, uh, especially w- as it related to my gifts, which were really planning and and getting the development of new new buildings and those types of things in place, and then on on the finance side, um, and so you know, I've worked in leadership and I always just try to do my best. And I think people recognize when you're doing your best, when you're being sincere. Again, they're not expecting you to be perfect because none of us are. But as people recognize your sincerity, transparency, uh, your uh, expectation to do everything in excellence, you know, and they see that. And then they also, once they find out that you're actually approachable, um, you know, they don't always think you're approachable. (laughs) That's true. That's true. You got to smile. Yeah, you got to smile. So after those things, I just think it's kind of more of a body of work and it takes time to, uh, to build. And how long have you been in Nashville again? Oh, about 28 years now. Okay. And, um, and I was right out of college. So, you know, I knew the bros, you know, right. so. <laughs> you had to connect there. Right. Uh, many of which are gone now because, you know, when I met them, we, they were in school or, uh, or med school or what have you. So they, they're just, they were kind of transitioning in and out. A number of them still here. But um, yeah, uh, and just over time, uh, I've met people. I like people. 
I like to meet people. Um, I'm shy by nature. Uh, I was going to ask you that. Like, are you an <laughs> introvert posing as an extrovert? That was going to be my question. So are you really uh, shy? I'm really shy, but I'm not an introvert. Okay. What's the difference? Well, so, so today, um, and, and we live in the same neighborhood. So, I, you know, for the last couple of weeks, I've been walking or running. I mean, you know the hills. There's a guy, um, an African-American gentleman. You know, I've seen him run by, run by, run by, and I've never spoke. And I'm like, you know, man, I need to, you know, I know he's new to the neighborhood. So today I just like, you know what? Okay, I see him. We're going to talk today. You know, so I'm walking, you know, we did, the, you know, that and all that stuff. And then I just stop. I say, hey, what's your name? And I just start backing up. So I'm, you know, coming down the hill by the, by the sunset exit. Yeah, yeah. Entrance. And yep. he's coming up. And so I okay. just backed up and we, we start, you know, start talking. And, you know, so it was just like one of those things. Once I decide I need to go ahead and break the ice, and once I do, I'm fine. But there's that um, kind of period of time, whether it's seconds or weeks in this case, that, um, I'm, you know, I just have, I, don't, I won't say I necessarily have to build up the courage, but I have to make myself go ahead and do it. After that, I'm good. By nature, I don't want to not do it, but it's kind of a natural shyness, I, I would say. I am actually surprised. So that is a new fun fact. I always see you engaged in talking with people. You would never know that just mm-hmm. kind of seeing that from the outside. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, you know, put me in a big crowd and I have to meet people. That's where it probably is most evident. Being in Nashville, not just Nashville, but, you know, kind of um, being around for the period of time I've been now when I go different places, people will engage me. So I don't necessarily have to. We talked before we started recording about how some of the civic things that you've done. So you've, you've been able to build a nice book of business, started multiple businesses and been able to maintain that, build up your network. Let's move over to the philanthropic side. How have you been able to convert if you have converted, maybe it's a new set of people, but how do you convert your relationships to then handle those civic issues like race, like disparity, like lack of diversity and inclusion? How do you get those networks moving in the same direction towards your goals and those philanthropic areas? Yeah, excellent um, question. I tell you what, you know, a number of years ago, um, Philanese, I made a very conscious decision that this stuff had to stop. And what I meant by this stuff, you know, the, the fight for us to be able to, to do business, it's outrageous. I mean, it just shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be this difficult to do business. And, um, and of course, you have people like yourself and, and, and myself and other people we know that we're going to be successful because we're going to keep on driving and keep on pushing. Uh, you can keep pushing back, but we're going to, you know, we got long, we got strong legs because we've been pushing for a long time <laughs> and we know how to shift from using our arms to using our legs and digging in. But everybody's not like that, right. nor should they have to be, because that's not how everybody else has to do business, you know, but for us, it is. And one of the things that I said to myself is my kids are not going to have to do this, mm. but they will if I don't make a conscious decision to say, forget it, you know, realizing it's going to cost me business. It's going to cost me quote unquote, friends that really wouldn't be, aren't friends if they can't take me how I am anyway. You know, I knew there'd be some economic hit to it, but I really didn't care anymore because I just, it, yeah, I just got to that point where I just said, you know what, enough is enough. And if I don't want little Lee and Lance and Luke, um, 
to and Daryl to have to deal with this, then I got to do something now. And so I made that decision. And, you know, once you make those decisions, and I'm very spiritual, I can't quote all the scriptures in the Bible, but I do believe in God and I trust God. And he's got me a long way, even when I wasn't trying to have a relationship with him, he's continued to, to guide me. And so once I made that decision uh, and prayed about it, you know, he put me in these different scenarios and different situations to allow me to really have my voice heard. I sent a young man a text this morning. Somebody's doing work on my house that, you know, I'm not very happy with him right now. And I said, you know, you're a young man. What you're going to find is that your word is more important than anything else. I said, in fact, what you do speaks so loudly, people can hardly hear what you say. And if you don't hold up your word now, 20 years from now or 30 years from now, you're going to still be in the same place. You're going to find it difficult to do business and people aren't going to trust you. And that was something that my dad and grandfather uh, and, you know, and people at my college and just in, and throughout life, my mom, those things that they just instilled in me, at least if nothing else, keep your word, you know, and, and in keeping your word doesn't mean that people are going to be happy with the results, but don't hide from them. Just say, you know, I screwed this one up. <laughs> you got to come clean with it. So what I've found is that because of what I did in the past, and, and I didn't know this until I started talking about race and saying, hey, this is enough is enough. We're not doing this anymore. Or, um, you know, you got to make some changes. I was very direct with it. People actually listened to me. And the reason they listened was because, and I, again, I didn't know this, but they actually respected me because they had been watching me year after year after year after year after year. And they had watched volunteer work that I had done. They'd seen me mentor kids. They'd seen me, you know, deliver food and bring my kids out to do it. They'd just seen all the stuff that I'd done. And so now that I'm talking, they're like, okay, well, he might know what he's talking about, you know? <laughs> so I just think that, you know, we create our own body of work uh, by what we do, what we say, people we help. Uh, and when it's time for you to speak, if you've done that, people will listen to you. Man, that is well said, well said. And I see the work that you have done, Lee, and we appreciate the groundwork that you have laid. You've done an amazing job of getting in and getting integrated into those systems so that they do listen and that you have their ear. So we totally appreciate your work. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So we're getting close to the end of our session. I wanted to just drop the mic for a second and and give you the floor. If there's a young entrepreneur or even a seasoned entrepreneur who is not finding that they are making the connections that they want to make, do you have a nugget of wisdom to give them to, to help them move out of their own way and be able to build successful relationships? Man, that's another excellent question. So, so I remember a couple of years ago, um, and this directly and indirectly answers, is going to answer your question. I remember a couple of years ago, I was kind of faced with this um, monumental task of uh, raising a, a few million dollars for a project. It was very important that I raise it. Uh, and so I remember sitting at home and then driving into work, just worried about it, thinking about it, worried about it, thinking about it. And God spoke to me and said, look, fool, I've been teaching you how to raise money all this time. You get, a, you get to your office, you write down your, your, the list of people you need to call that you know have you know, $50,000, $100,000 at least. Get that list 
And then you put down the points of your deal and you call them, you tell them the deal. He said, you've been doing, you've been raising money for all these multi-billion dollar companies all these years. How you can't raise a couple million dollars for your own project. <laughs> Were you like, yeah. <laughs> oh God. I said, oh, <laughs> Like maybe I have been doing this. I mean, but it was, you know, I put it in, you know, so much in, in perspective for me. And one of the things that I recognize is some people overanalyze the deal. They just look at it and look at it and look at it and look at it. They overanalyze their business. They look at it and look at it and look at it. They never think it's enough. They never think it's good enough. They keep going back and forth and asking people, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And they want to keep putting money in. Oh, I don't have a website yet. Yeah, you know what? I still don't have a, a re- website for my development company. But, you know, we're building about 12 new homes right now. I mean, get it done. Go, get to work. I'm a, you know. <laughs> you said, dang, forget the website. You got to get the work. You got to get the work done. And then, and then you, you get the website done. I mean, but we focus so much on all the things that we need to do before we get it done that we don't get it done. Mm-hmm. analysis paralysis. I mean, sometimes you, you know, the biggest killer of deals is overanalyzing it. And so if you have this gift or you have this business, you have it inside of you, put it on paper and then put down who your clients are and go get it. You got to make the phone calls. You know, everything doesn't have to be perfect right away. Um, it's like, you know, I know, you know, with your podcast, as I talk to different people, as I'm thinking, you know, working towards creating one and everything, you know, and, and a lot of what I read is, hey, you don't have to have all the best equipment right away. No, just get in the game, get the first one out there. And you were like, I don't know what I was what I was waiting for. Yep. So that's that's really what I would say. Just if if you really want to do it, get rid of the fear. Um, Pitbull. I listen to Pitbull radio on Sirius in the car. Sometimes. You talk about uh, from the three of Mr. Three oh five. Yeah. From Mr. Three oh five. Pitbull. That one. Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure I was talking, we were talking about the right, the same person. We're talking about the same thing. <laughs> so, so he talks about fear. And he says, um, you know, fear, you can look at it two different ways. You can forget about everything and run. Fear, forget about everything and run. Okay. So that's one thing you could do. Or fear, face everything and rise. I like that. You know, and so I think at the end of the day, we have to face everything and rise. And we can't, um, we can't get bogged down in the minutia and all the every fine detail of a deal. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember I had one deal um, where uh, it was another one I had to raise, raise a couple million dollars for. And one guy I talked to, he said, well, do you have a memorandum and un- of understanding and this, that, and other? I said, no, I ain't got all that. He said, well, I can't do the deal. I said, okay, but I know the cost of putting that together and the amount of money that I had to raise, they didn't align and none of my other investors needed it. So we still raised the money, but don't, again, just don't get bogged down in all that stuff. And when somebody tells you, no, that's great. It gets you closer to your next yes. You got out the way. Get out of your own way. I love it. That's, that's a good nugget. Thank you very much for that. So where can my listeners follow you or get in touch with you? Which, what are your social media handles, websites, other ways that they can get in touch with you? Yep. So you can email me at lee at moletteinvestmentservices.com. It's a long email, lee at moletteinvestmentservices.com. The easier way from, from a business perspective is just to hit me on LinkedIn at Lee Molette and it's M-O-L-E-T-T-E. Um, if, you know, follow me on IG, 
at lmoletii on Facebook, Lee Molette, and um, on Twitter at lmolet. Get a little bit better at Twitter. Yeah, well, we we gonna work on that. I'll, I'll fire up my Twitter account again. We we'll work on that one. Well, Lee, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate you coming on and giving us those uh, nuggets of wisdom. We really do appreciate it. Well, thank you very much uh, for allowing me to uh, come on the Phil and East Nash experience. This is awesome. Congratulations on your show. Thank you. And, uh, and for those of you all that didn't know, check out uh, Women with Grit on, on Facebook. It starts tomorrow at 7 o'clock. We're, um, uh, if you go back in our catalog, you will find <laughs> Phil and <East> Nash. <laughs> Yes, from two weeks ago. That was an awesome experience. And that Women with Grit series is growing. So everybody catch that. I just want to thank all of my guests for listening in. Lee, once again, thank you for uh, coming on to the Philanese Nash experience. I just want to encourage everyone to vote this November. Make sure you stay healthy, stay safe, stay masked up, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Peace.